Gina Della from Pella. Get up to five years no interest, five months no first payment, and 5% same-day order savings at Pella Windows and Doors of Wisconsin. 555's been extended, but only through October 31st. See PellaWI.com. Live from the Annex Wealth Management Studios at Historic Radio City, this is the Jeff Wagner Show. The AccuNet Mortgage Talk and Text Line is open now. Give Jeff a call at 855-616-1620. And now, WTMJ's Jeff Wagner. Good afternoon, Wisconsin. Welcome to the show. I have the media alert. Mayor Tom Barrett proclaims Thursday, October 21st, that would be today, widespread panic day in Milwaukee. All right, mark the tape on this. This is probably the first time in a long time that Tom Barrett and I are on exactly the same page because, yep, today is widespread panic day. You can make the argument that pretty much in Milwaukee every day should be widespread panic day. I am glad Glad at least the mayor on this one occasion is recognizing it. Now, don't get too carried away because the mayor's proclamation refers to the band widespread panic that's going to be playing for the next couple days at the Riverside Theater. But I I think the larger point is, yes, it it is widespread panic day. And maybe, maybe, maybe it's just time for everybody to start recognizing widespread panic is really kind of the situation that we should be in when it talks, when we start talking about this area and what is going on and the out of control situations and crime. All right. If you haven't been paying attention to this, and and by the way, the out-of-control crime is is not just limited to the city of Milwaukee. It is spreading all through Milwaukee County. If you haven't heard about it, another high-speed chase involving a stolen car out in Wauwatosa. Here's what happened. Stolen vehicle. Monday night, police chased individuals. They crashed on Milwaukee's west side. Two people were taken into custody in connection with the theft, which occurred near West Hour and North Sherman Boulevard. Police located a stolen car occupied with four or five subjects near West Center and North 70th Street. The vehicle crashed into another vehicle, ending the chase. Police are seeking charges for theft and resisting arrest. The stolen vehicle was totaled. Don't know anything about the car thieves and the people who fled. I would say it's probably 50-50 that you're talking juveniles again, and it's probably, if that's the case, it's probably talking 75 to 80 percent juveniles and or adults that have been through the criminal justice system before but are out there terrorizing the area. The Journal Sentinel describes this as yet another in a steady stream of vehicle thefts and attempted vehicle attempts occurring in Wauwatosa and across the Milwaukee area this year. Motor vehicle thefts in Wauwatosa are up 160% in 2021. Um, from the start of 2021 till the end of September, 193 vehicle thefts were reported in the city. There were 75 reported vehicle thefts in that same period in, 19, in uh, 2020. So again, and, and I think by and large, what you're seeing is, I think, criminals from Milwaukee expanding their territory and coming out and stealing cars in Wauwatosa. And, of course, that's consistent if we look at the Milwaukee police crime statistics. And this is just a mind-boggling number. Um, this time last year, 3,129 cars were stolen off the mean streets of the city of Milwaukee. This year, 8,447. 
It's almost 30 cars a day. It's just, it is staggering to me. So, yes, Mayor Barrett, you are absolutely correct. Widespread panic day in the city of Milwaukee. But, of course, until we get a handle on crime, pretty much every day is going to be widespread panic. As long as we are talking about out-of-control crime and juveniles, let's double back on a story which, unfortunately... This story isn't even in, at least as near as I can find, it's not even in even the online edition of the local newspaper. And I guess I'm I'm becoming concerned about whether or not we've lost our ability to be shocked and stunned. All right, now, we we all know what happened last week at that hotel by Mayfair, the, the Holiday Inn Express. There was the report of the four kids... I didn't know that there were kids at the time, 13, 14, and two 15-year-olds who were involved in stealing a vehicle. What happens is a woman comes upon them, tries to intervene and stop. Some of the reports say that she was hearing impaired. Um, she, she tried to report it to people. Nope, nope, nobody paid attention. She then tried to intervene, stop herself. She was killed by the kids. I'll give you the dazzling details in a minute, who then subsequently stole her car, drove off, leaving her for dead. Well, now we're starting to hear at least some of the details about this. Let me share with you the way the story is reported on on WISN television. All right. A 13-year-old boy. A 13-year-old boy has been charged as an adult in the hit-and-run death of a woman in Wauwatosa last week. Prosecutors say 13-year-old Jaden Adams of Milwaukee, of course, struck and killed a woman with her own car, running her over several times as she tried to stop him from stealing another car. All right, let's let's just let this one linger in the air for a moment. Jaden Adams of Milwaukee, 13 years old, accused of killing a woman with her own car, running her over several times as she tried to stop him from stealing another car. So this isn't a situation where, gee, you grab her car, you're fleeing, and you, you, you graze her. He ran her over several times, like back and forth. She was identified as a 40-year-old, the woman's 47 years old from Oshkosh. All right. Um, Wauwatosa police responded to a report of a body in North Avenue near Mayfair Mall on Thursday and soon realized it was related to an attempted car theft at the nearby Holiday Inn Express. Adams is accused of pulling the woman from her Jeep, pulling the woman from her Jeep, running her over and then letting his friends jump in before they drove off. It gets worse. Police say Adams, this is the 13 year old. And the three others, a 14-year-old and two 15-year-olds, later used the dead woman's credit cards to buy clothes at Walmart and switched out the license plates. Okay, so this this is, you know, you, you want to talk about it. You've now killed a woman. And then what you're going to do is you're going to use her credit cards, and then in an effort to hide the crime, you are going to switch out the license plates. All right, it gets worse. They were also tinting and painting the vehicle, going to show that this was an attempt to retain the vehicle, despite the horrible nature in which it came into the possession of the defendant. So... 
You pull a 40-something-year-old woman out of her car. You drive over her killer. You drive off with the car. You use her credit card at a Walmart to buy clothes. You then change out the license plate, and you're trying to paint the car because you intend to keep it. Police spotted the Jeep near Timmerman Airport Thursday and arrested the four after a short chase. At his hearing, Adams said he understood the charges and wanted to talk to his mother. The eighth grader is being held on $75,000 bail and would face decades in prison if convicted of killing the woman, police uh, say. Okay, um, let's see. The woman was described as a good Samaritan and a person who was trying to intervene. She attempted to alert staff to contact police, but there was a communication barrier. Three other children... This is the way the TV report describes them. Ages 13 to 15 were also arrested. Police said that although they got into the stolen car, they weren't the ones who pulled um, the woman from the car and ran over her. Their cases will be handled in juvenile court. Well, there's a lot to digest with this. Okay, first of all, these other three punks who were involved in stealing the car and trying to cover it up, they're going to be handled in juvenile court, which means nothing is going to happen to them. That in itself is an outrage. But I can't get to that outrage on widespread panic day without getting to the larger story here. 13-year-old eighth grader is accused of, I think, about as brutal, premeditated, and appalling an offense as you can imagine. So let's start with that. Our number, 855-616-1620. That is the Acunet Mortgage Talk and Text Line. He is 13 years old. The prosecutors are seeking to waive him into adult court. He says, well, I understand the charges. I want to talk to my mom. There will be a huge push brought by his attorney whenever his attorney is appointed to try to get this case handled in juvenile court. Let's start with this. He's 13 years old. He has committed about as brutal a crime as you can possibly imagine. Did I mention that he ran over her on multiple occasions? Let's start with the question, is this a situation where the 13-year-old should be brought into adult court, prosecuted, if in fact convicted? That means he will spend until he's 18 in a juvenile correction facility, and then he will graduate and go to an adult prison for a long period of time. 855-616-1620. That's the Acunet Mortgage Talk and Text Line. He is 13. Is that too young to treat him as an adult? My answer is not just no, it's hell no, but I'm interested in discussing that with you. 855-616-1620. What do you think? Back to Take Your Calls. Here's WTMJ's Jeff Wagner. 855-616-1620. Jeff, my biggest question is where the heck are the parents? And how do they not know where their kids are and not know that they bought new clothes and are painting a car that isn't theirs? The parents should be child charged with child neglect. Well, yet where, where are the parents is, of course, the rhetorical question that you always ask in these things. But look, I... You've got a 13-year-old here, and again, a number of people are also commenting on the decision, apparently, to take the 14 and the two 15-year-olds and not even slap them on the wrist and refer them to juvenile authorities, which is essentially, it doesn't even rise to the level of a slap on the wrist. And the other kids are also involved in helping cover up this crime, and they're out involved in stealing the car and all that type of stuff. But let's just focus on the 13-year-old, that this precious little darling who has brutally killed a 40-some-year-old woman who came upon 
upon them while they were in the act of committing a crime. And for her attempt to intervene, she is now dead in a brutal way. Did I mention he drove over her multiple times? My answer is, of course you wave him into adult court. I don't care if he's 13 or what. He has committed a heinous crime. You wave him into adult court. If, in fact, is he if he is convicted, you throw the book at him, and that means... That means he's not going to be out on the street to kill anybody else for at least, hopefully, a couple decades. 855-616-1620. That is the Acunet Mortgage Talk and Text Line. Let's start with Bob in Waukesha. Bob, you're first. Good afternoon. Good afternoon, Jeff. How are you today? I'm well, thank you. What do you think about this? Well, I spent 29 years in law enforcement, and the mental picture that I am having around this scene is making me physically ill. Mm-hmm. And, 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 you know, you can ask where the parents were, and I do ask, where are the parents? And I would bet my life that this 13-year-old never sees an adult court. God, I hope you're wrong. I mean, they, they're, they're trying to I, wave him boy, into adult court. Boy, I hope you're wrong, Bob. <laughs> boy. That makes two of us, Jeff. Uh, but your your concern is that we're going to say, oh, he's only 13. He can't appreciate the consequences of his action. And so here we're we're going to just try to rehabilitate him. So we'll, we'll, we'll confine him in a juvenile facility for a couple of years and then we'll send him back into the community to kill somebody else when he turns 18. That that is going to be the focus. And remember all those crime scene technicians and police officers that had to actually physically work that crime scene. Yep. Yep, 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 yep. Um, thanks for the call. Appreciate it. I, 855-616-1620. That's the Accident Mortgage Talk and Text Line. Somebody says, well, he's only 13. You know, what, what good comes from putting him away for decades? Well, okay, my answer would be it's the same thing that comes from putting him away for decades if he was 18 or 20 and, and, and did the same thing. First of all, you protect society from this psychopathic behavior. That's number one. Number two, you punish him for what he did. That that's that's it. Now look, I don't know. Twenty years from now, twenty five years from now, if you want to release him into society and you can hope he can be rehabilitated, that that's okay. He took a woman's life. Number of people are telling me apparently at the TV station in Green Bay last night they did a a, a very nice feature talking about this woman. She was she had come to this country legally from Nigeria. She apparently was a good Samaritan. She's she's intervening. She saw something that she believed was wrong, and she was trying to intervene to try to help this situation. She was trying to make things better, and for her effort, she got her car stolen, and she got killed by a 13-year-old. I'm sorry, I have no sympathy at all for the other, for for the 13-year-old. And if you're going to commit adult crimes, and this is about as adult a crime as you can be, you, it seems to me, have to pay those consequences. Here's a text. Jeff, it's horrendous. Even though the other three didn't kill the lady, aren't they aiding and abetting the kid who committed the murder? The 13-year-old is a bad seed. Put him in jail. Throw away the key. Well, yeah, that's kind of this thing. Jeff, this is unbelievable. I wonder what else the 13-year-old has done that he hasn't been caught for. Um, I can't believe that this would be his first radio. He needs rodeo. He needs to go to adult court. Well, see, that's the other frustrating thing about this system, and I know we talk about it a lot. We protect 
the juvenile criminals because juvenile proceedings as a general rule are not public. The only reason we know this kid's name is he's been charged as an adult. The other three who were up to their neck in this situation, including including trying to cover up the fact that they had killed somebody, they're they're, they're going to be referred to juvenile court. DA's office isn't going to try to waive them into adult court in connection with this, which means we're not going to know about their records. It means we're not going to know who they are. We're not going to know anything about them until and unless they offend again. And my guess is, <laughs> my guess is if you look at the records, don't know, not sure we're ever going to be able to find out, but my guess is that these kids have been in the criminal justice system or the juvenile justice non-consequence system before. Now, maybe I'm wrong. Maybe in the case of this 13-year-old, this was just the day a week ago where he woke up and said, hey, tonight's the night that I'm going to go out with some of my you know, thug pals and we're going to steal a car. And if we're confronted, we're going to drag a woman out of her car and we're going to steal her car and we're going to drive over her multiple times and kill her. Maybe this was just maybe it was just something that happened that day they woke up. But I doubt that this is the situation. But but here's the bottom line of this. You know, when the mayor says widespread panic day, he's absolutely right. I mean, this is if there, if there was ever a cause for widespread panic, this would be that situation. So, yes, credit to the DA's office waving the 13-year-old into adult court, but that's where the 13-year-old belongs. And yes, if that means we have to warehouse him, uh, I'm sorry. Sometimes that's just the thing that you have to do to protect society. As far as the other three and all the other countless juveniles that are out there committing crime after crime after crime who don't get waived into adult court until finally after they've stolen their 15th car and driven at 95 miles an hour through a red light and hit and killed somebody, and then we finally say, well, we need to do something about it. How much longer is the community going to put up with this type of stuff? How many more people have to be victimized? How many more people have to die before we start to realize that what we are doing when it comes to these children that are out on the streets committing crimes, how many more people have to die before we realize that what we're doing isn't working? And here is the scary thing. Again, when stuff like this happens, it, it in this particular case, it was this wonderful lady from Oshkosh, but it, it, it could have been you could have been me. It could have been your family. It could have been your your grandparents. It could have been your kids. I mean, we are all sitting ducks right now for a system that is completely, totally out of control. And yes, of course, the kids should be in adult court. That That's not even close. But the issue is, all right, what, what are we going to do to try to stop the next person who decides, hey, if somebody comes upon me when I'm boosting a car, you know, maybe I should think twice before I pull her out of the car and then run over her with her own car. Two guys that love talking football. They're somehow piecing this together to have a cohesive defensive unit. Let's give them some credit here. I don't want to crown Joe Barry the greatest <laughs> right. thing since sliced bread guy. Steve Scafidi and Brian D. go all things Packers. Snap to Rogers, looking right. Lost it down the right side, and he's got his man. Gone for the touchdown. MVS. It's the Monday morning quarterback. Every morning at 835 after each Packers game. Sponsored by Steinhoffel's Furniture. Ho-Chunk Gaming. 
Our featured sponsor this week on our Home Improvement Showcase is Kohler Services. I am excited to introduce you to Kohler Services, the completely personalized shower and bath remodel service that puts you in charge. As an exclusive provider of Kohler Luxstone showers and Kohler walk-in baths, they take the hassle out of the remodeling process, making it easy to get the bathing experience of your dreams. The Kohler Luxstone collection combines beautiful walls, powerful shower heads, and customizable accessories to bring your dream shower to life. And everything is made by Kohler, the global leader in bathroom design and innovation for over 140 years. Your new Kohler Luxstone shower or walk-in bath is installed by a Kohler Services installation expert in as little as a day or two, and it comes with a lifetime limited warranty. Look, this month only, through the end of October, you can take $750 off your Kohler Luxstone shower and installation with Kohler Services. If you're thinking about doing a bathroom remodel involving your shower and bath, this is an opportunity and this is an offer to take advantage of. Request your free design consultation today by simply going to their website. It's KohlerServicesWI.com. That's KohlerServicesWI.com. Kohler Services, from inspiration to installation. Check them out. Jeff Wagner on WTMJ. This week's sponsor for the Jeff Wagner Home Improvement Showcase, presented by Great Midwest Bank, is Kohler Services. Give them a call at 262-357-3300 or visit KohlerServicesWI.com to see all they have to offer. From inspiration to installation, reimagine your bathing experience and contact Kohler Services today for a free consultation. All right, we talked about in the first half hour of the program how the 40-some-year-old Nigerian immigrant from who lived lived in the Oshkosh area, was murdered by the 13-year-old and the 14- and 15-year-old thugs that he was running with um, in, when she tried to intervene late at night and stop a, a, a car theft that was going on. Well, what about the flip side of this? SEPTA is the Southeastern Pennsylvania Transportation um Authority and it's it's Philadelphia and um, as is common for a lot of places on the East Coast and in Chicago, for example, in Chicago you've got the L. These are the trains, the commuter trains that that people ride. Here is the story about what happened. Oh, uh, well, it was a week ago, October thirteenth. So it's a week ago, Wednesday. All right, there there is a a woman who gets on the train. And apparently she gets on the wrong train. She has made a mistake. She's gotten on the wrong train. Apparently a couple minutes after she gets on the train, what happens is a 35-year-old guy named Fiston Goy, who is somebody who is illegally in this country, came in on a student visa uh, several years ago, was ordered deported. There was no follow-up on it, so he's in the country illegally. All right, here here is the report. Says uh, this is this is how USA Today is reporting it. Um, both Nagoy and the victim got on the train October thirteenth at the same stop, the Frankfurt Transportation Center in Northeast Philadelphia. Police say they weren't able to stop the assault until the train reached the 69th Street Terminal in West Philadelphia, which is about 27 stops later. 
the police say that their officers responded within three minutes of the lone 911 call they received from an off-duty transportation employee. Okay, so so let's just put this background here. Woman gets on the train. She gets on the wrong train, right? This guy gets on the same stop, and I'll we'll go into details in just a minute about what he did. But the police, that this goes on for 27 stops. And the police say, hey, once we got a call, we, we responded and, and we caught the, the guy. As a matter of fact, they caught him in the middle of the sexual assault. But, but it's 27 stops. Okay, police and other officials were troubled that no one witnessing the assault intervened. Okay, so here's sort of what they, they say. Um, the, there's, there's a warrant out there. This, this went on for somewhere in the neighborhood of 30 minutes because now the, there's cameras and they're, they're not monitored necessarily in real time, but they're able to, um, they, they've got cameras that now they're able to go back and look at what happened. They said that uh, the guy, the goy, sat down next to the woman about a minute after they boarded the train. The video shows her pushing him away multiple times. So she's pushing him away. He starts to touch her. He, he's coming on to her. He's grabbing her arm. He's grabbing her breasts. At one point in time, after this goes on for several, several minutes, he's seen ripping her pants down. Um, according to documents, the woman says that he was, she kept saying, go away, go away, go away. He kept saying that he knew her, kept saying that the encounter was consensual, but he could not remember her name. Of course, they're describing this as a horrendous criminal act. If you look at the Philadelphia papers and you kind of get the story about this, you know, it, it gets, it, it just gets absolutely worse. He's kissing her. He's touching her. Um, all those different things. And at some point in time, he, he jumps her. All right. The other dazzling detail about the story is there's a number of passengers that are in this train car. All right. While this is going on, nobody, nobody calls the cops. Nobody does anything. Now, the reports are, and it's kind of unclear, but again, because there's video surveillance cameras that they're able to look at afterwards, it appears that at least the number of the people who are on this train car, number one, they did not intervene. And number two, they pulled out their phones and, and they're recording this. They don't know that for sure, but that's what it appears to be on the, the video again from the, the surveillance cameras that are out there. Nobody calls 911. 911 is not called until well into the assault when the doors open up and it turns out to be an off-duty employee of the transit system who comes upon this. He immediately calls 911 and then the cops respond and three minutes later it's there. But you have a number of passengers who apparently stood by and watched this woman get assaulted on this train car and did absolutely nothing, not physically intervening, trying to pull him off and hold him, not even taking the time to call 911. It's just let's pull out our cell phones and let's record this, presumably for, I don't know, posterity or whatever. Our number, 855-616-1620. That is the Acunet Mortgage Talk and Text Line. The authorities in, in Philadelphia, Pennsylvania, have already said there's nothing that they can do to the bystanders. There, there's no statute 
There's no law in Pennsylvania that requires you to intervene and try to stop a crime from being committed. So there's no there's no basis to charge any of those people who stood by and either filmed or watched or tried to just kind of turn their blind eye to the fact that there was a woman who was being raped in the car, subway car, in the train car. Our number, 855-616-1620. That is the Accident Mortgage Talk and Text Line. Look... I guess I, I ask this question. I ask it seriously. How can the people that were on that car live with themselves? I, I mean, seriously, I understand that there's consequences for intervening. But if you've got a guy that is assaulting a, a woman and there's no question that the type of stuff is going on and there, there's several people that are in that train car, don't you have a moral obligation to try to break that up? And to try to separate those people. And again, it's all right. By the time the guy's got his pants down, maybe he's in a vulnerable position. Maybe that's when three or four people go and you just separate and, and you control him instead of just allowing this thing to go on. And the idea that not one single person who witnessed this calls authorities. My God, this is Lord of the Flies. Every one of those people in that train car should be ashamed of themselves. Do you understand their behavior, though? Do you understand why they just stood by and what does it say about our world if people are willing to stand by and essentially watch and film a woman getting raped? 855-616-1620. That is the Acunet Mortgage Talk and Text Line. Color me disgusted. I mean, I mean, seriously, we discuss. Back to take your calls. Here's WGMJ's Jeff Wagner. Eight five five six one six one six twenty. Here's a text, Jeff. The woman's experience sounds like a nightmare, a serious nightmare. I would have of being hurt and being helpless while others watch and do nothing. Um, yeah, that 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 that's essentially it. You you stand by and you effectively the phrase that the texter uses is become accomplices to the perpetrator. In a way, you are. There's no legal requirement that requires you to intervene. But but seriously. How can people do this? And okay, you're on you're on a you're on a confined train car. You see some guy that is sexually assaulting a woman. And it's not just even a one-on-one thing, although I like to think maybe people would at the very least call 911 right away. Nobody called 911, but there's several people in the train car. At some point in time, you you see a woman being assaulted and you say, "Okay, there's there's four of us and there's one of the attacker. Maybe this is the time where we just flat out outnumber the guy." And maybe this is the time that we intervene. Somebody calls 911 and the rest of us go and we grab the guy. Have we really gotten to a point in society where we become nothing but a bunch of voyeurs who sit there and, oh, this is going on. Let, let's let pull out our cameras and film the assault. Would you want somebody to do that if you were being attacked? If that was your spouse, if that was your kid, if that was your grandkid? How can you live with yourself not intervening? Let's start with Chris in Cedarburg. Hi, Chris. Hey, how are you? You know, what I think a word that is uh, underused is empathy. And, uh, you know, when you're seeing something like this, how do you not pull pull the guy off or talk to, you know, to the people there yep. and say, okay, let's do this. Let's, let's pull him off. And, and also, what if it's your daughter, your, your son, your yep. grandmother, you know, and, and where are the gentlemen? And, you, know, let, let, you know, everybody's got their hand out now for extra dough. And but no, but nobody's actually stepping up to the plate and actually being good citizens and right. good people. Where's the gentleman? In the world? I mean, <laughs> how do you stand? How do you sit there and watch this? Right, and, and film it. it right, right. And, 
Right. No. No. Well, and, and exactly. It, and this is sort of a one-on-one thing. So I, I could understand if it's a deal where, okay, it's it's just you by yourself, and you're watching seven or eight people attack somebody, and you're thinking, hey, if I run in and try to intervene, I'm going to get beaten down, right. you know, regardless. But and then you pull out that phone and you call nine one one and say, you got to get here. Nobody called nine one one. This. Right. Yes. Yeah. Right. Exactly. And and it's multiple people in a in a train car. I mean, at some point in time, I'm I'm, I I got a text from one of our listeners who's in Las Vegas, lives in Las Vegas, and is appalled like you are. And I'm thinking, okay, in Las Vegas, they've got this monorail that goes back up and down. You're in these cars. I'm thinking, if I was in there, and there's three or four or five other people in there, and this is going on, okay, just the sheer force of numbers, we're going to try to separate the two of them. I'm not going to. I could not live with myself if I stood by and watched. This happen. No, and how do you not have flashbacks every night when you're going out for dinner when you're thinking, hey, guess what I saw on the train today? You know, yeah. I mean, it, it, it's just disgusting, and it, it, it's the decline of people. And yeah, we should just open up the floodgates and have more people that we know nothing about. Right. No, thanks so. to call. It, it, it's it's an absolute tragedy, and I and and authorities are are frustrated. I mean that the the police chief, they call them superintendents out there. You know, he, he says, look, he said, <laughs> he says th- there were a lot of people on this car. This is the p- police chief that's out there. He says there were a lot of people who should have intervened. Somebody should have done something. It speaks to where we are in society that who would allow something like this to take place. It's so troubling. Look, and again, I, I understand if this is a deal where you've got, I don't know, somebody that's out there with a gun and is shooting at all sorts of people. Okay, maybe you don't say, okay, we're going to get four of us together and we're going to charge the gunman. Okay, that that. I, I understand that, but that's not what's happening here. You've got a guy who's one-on-one with a woman who's assaulting her, and you have people standing by, and nobody decides to intervene. At some point in time, don't you just say, hey, look, there's there's four or five of us. that This is enough. Let's stop this. Let's grab him. You call 911. The other four of us are going to hold this creep, and then we'll let it all be sorted out. But they don't do that. Mark in Sheboygan. Mark, you're on WTMJ. Yeah, hi. I don't. And the more you talk about this, the more upset I get because, I mean, you, you, you nailed this about everything on the head there. Not people get involved. I mean, family members, what would that be? How would they feel if that would be their loved ones that yeah. was getting assaulted and no one did nothing? I mean, it's just amazing that, I mean, and all it takes is sometimes just one person in that little group of people and then the rest will follow, right. you know, and help along, maybe, hopefully. But no, none of that even happened. No, Mark, you, you, raise an, the, oh, no, you raise an outstanding point. There wasn't one person over the 20-plus minutes that this assault happened. There was 27 stops. There wasn't one person in that car that stood up and said, hey, buddy, knock it off, leave her alone. Not wow. one person came to this woman's defense. And you're exactly right. All it takes, maybe that first person says, knock it off. The guy doesn't stop. Then there's two or three other people who... Who say we've got to stop this, and, and then you you get the group yeah, that put a halt on this. No, you're you're right. It is just so disappointing and disgusting on so many different levels. Now I understand. Now you contrast that with the way we started this program that the forty-some-year-old woman who, on her own, she died at the hands of this thirteen-year-old punk about a week ago. But she's by herself. It's one thirty in the morning. She is by herself. She sees this car theft going on, and she. Uh, you know, confronts four of these, you know, teenage punks who are out there, and it ended up costing her a life. 
you know, but, but but she at least she was sitting there saying, "I'm not gonna I'm not gonna allow this to happen." And maybe you go back in retrospect and say she should have let, just left them let them steal the car. But th- this is she. She had the moral character that she was going to intervene because she saw something that wasn't right. All these people on this train in Philadelphia, all of them had a chance to do the right thing collectively. They could have overpowered the guy. They could have, but they didn't, and they allowed the woman to be sexually assaulted. How do you live with yourself? And the answer is, well, you've got to have a really bankrupt moral compass, period. Live from the Annex Wealth Management Studios at Historic Radio City, this is the Jeff Wagner Show. And now, WTMJ's Jeff Wagner. So Mike Spaulding, I have a question. Why do we make it so difficult? Now, I was listening to Greg's sports account, and, mm-hmm. and this is not uh, Greg Matzik, who does, this, does a great job, and I, I suspect that he was just reporting what the Bucks had said. But they say, uh, Drew Holiday not playing today because he has a heel contusion. So what what he really has is a bruised heel, right? That's what that is. Mm-hmm. Yes. Basically. Why don't we say bruised heel? Why, why, don't, why don't we just all say bruised heel so people understand that? You know, doctors. It's like, no, it's, it's 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 a bruised heel. You know, or, or it's just we we come up with all these sort of terms because I'm may, maybe everybody knows that, but it's a bruised heel. You say Sounds bruised better. heel, everybody. Well, no, people go. No, I think it may, might sound maybe worse. He's got he's got a bruised heel or or whatever. You know, he's he's got a sprained toe, what, whatever. But we come up with these you know complicated sort of things. He's got a bruised heel, and everybody understands that. It does provide a little clarity, I think, when you put it more simply with the bruised heel. Because yeah. like I don't know what a Contu- foot contusion is, so that could be months. I'd have no idea. Well, well, right. You just say it's 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 a bruised heel, and everybody can relate. Oh yeah, I know. I bruised my heel when when whatever. I I'm sorry. I just I I, I recognize as I'm getting older, I'm becoming a little more curmudgeonly. But it, it's like what if it's a bruised heel? Why don't we just say bruised heel so everybody understands? And again, it's not a knock on Greg because I'm sure he's just reiterating what the the Bucks said in their report, and he's quoting it to be accurate. You know, in hockey, they just say lower body or upper body injury. They don't even give you any. That's it. That's all that needs to be reported is lower body or upper body right it's just you know okay he, the guy has a a sprained finger or whatever it is just tell people and, and everybody will understand that and that 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 goes on fine heel contusion okay bruised heel all right we, we put that in perspective you know speaking of curmudgeons <laughs> and this 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 is a one of my favorite curmudgeons that I, I just i had some good memories that were brought back last night last evening i attended the uh the 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 annual gala dinner for the Wisconsin Institute for Law and Liberty. Will it was actually it was their their tenth anniversary dinner, and um, I, I I was there. They had uh, and they were Will is of course the it, it started and I would I want to say this honestly I I think Will has been responsible for I, I don't know that there's been another organization in the last decade in Wisconsin that has sort of held people accountable. And held government institutions accountable for for things that they just they just thought that they could could do. I mean, trampling individual citizens' rights. Hey, you know, you're you're a student at a school and you want to hand out you know valentines. No, we're not going to let you hand out valentines. Will has been instrumental in that and and helping push for issues with regard to school choice. That they've really it's it's been an amazing organization over the years. But so I, I met their their dinner last night and they were. Uh, posthumously recognizing, you know, one one of actually one of their clients, um, and I, John McAdams, who 
passed away earlier this year. He was a political science professor at Marquette University, and he was an occasional guest on this program. And, and John was the ultimate curmudgeon, but he had a very strong, he was conservative. And what he found was Marquette University is an extremely liberal organization, and they've become dramatically more liberal over the years. And what, what you have is this incredible pressure at Marquette and at other universities as well to you, you must conform. If you don't buy into the liberal orthodoxy, you are, you know, you're, you're, you're going to be censored. You're going to be fired. You're going to be disciplined. It really is this kind of scary groupthink when you consider that, that universities used to be places where they, they promote academic freedom. In any event, you might remember the story. I won't go back into too many of the details. But but John McAdams, who had been a thorn in Marquette's side for years, and in my opinion, they were looking for an excuse to, to discipline him and fire him. And he, he got into a, a situation where apparently there was some graduate student who um, reprimanded a, a student in their class because they, they questioned the whole idea of same-sex marriage. Now, of course, Marquette, at one point in time, Catholic institution. Uh, okay, so, but you, you can't even, if you go to a Catholic institution, you apparently, as a student, can't even question the appropriateness of same-sex marriage. With, regardless of how you feel about the issue, I mean, aren't we supposed to be able to discuss this? Well, anyhow, um, McAdams publicized this, uh, this controversy on, on his blog, The Marquette Warrior, and then what happened is the university used that as, in my opinion, trumped up reasons to try to get rid of him. And ultimately they did. And Will represented McAdams in the case. And they were talking about stories uh, the other day about how McAdams' deal was, says, okay, look, I'd like you to represent me, but here's the deal. I, I don't want to settle this case. I mean, I, I, I just, I, I'm not interested in taking money and going away. I, I want to win because I think this is all about academic freedom. And darned if he didn't win. You know, and he demanded his job back, and Marquette was forced to, you know, give him his job back, and all those sorts of things. It's again, it's it's a real tribute to freedom. And uh, John McAdams was was a real hero when it came to that. And I understand he was a thorn in the side of of uh, a very liberal institution like Marquette University. But but he took him on and he won. Now, he passed away earlier this year. His widow was was there last night and made some very compelling remarks. But whatever I think of curmudgeons, I, I say that affectionately. John John was was a curmudgeon. He was he was. I, I think you could describe him as a gadfly, but he was somebody who had a very, very strong opinion on right and wrong and individual freedoms and expressions. And um, he took on Marquette University and he won, and he's going to definitely be missed. But that was, again, one of these highlights of some of the stuff that the Wisconsin Institute for Law and Liberty does. And, you know, we, we've talked to Rick Essenberg, who is the, the lawyer that, that runs it, and a number of the other attorneys as well. But um, chances are, if you see a lawsuit that's designed to, I don't know, stop some of these institutions that are out there from trampling on individual rights in Wisconsin. Good chances it's coming from Will. And I just, they brought back memories of John McAdams. And like I say, I, maybe I'm becoming a little bit of a curmudgeon as I get older. But John McAdams, he was the ultimate curmudgeon. And I say that with affection. All right, when we come back. You know, um, we're talking about widespread panic day in Milwaukee. Well, it, it might be widespread panic day in Washington, at least in the Biden administration's political arm. I'll tell you about that, and we'll discuss in just a minute. Jeff Wagner on WTMJ.
So very glad to have you with us. All right. Uh, Joe Biden. Now, I, I think I was trying to think of how to, to get into this this morning. I think in, in some respects, when Donald Trump won the presidency in 2016, it was less an endorsement of Donald Trump than it was a rejection of Hillary Clinton. I, I think Donald Trump was kind of the anti-Hillary. He was sort of an unknown factor. And, and I understand that there are people who just, you know, were, were just over the moon about Donald Trump. But I think in general, what carried him to the office was there were a lot of people who just didn't like Hillary Clinton, had reservations about Hillary Clinton, and that made the difference in a, in a close election. In 2020, I, I think you can say the same thing about Joe Biden. I, I don't know that anybody was particularly excited about Joe Biden. It was just that he was the alternative to Donald Trump. And I think in many people's minds, Donald Trump had kind of worn out his his welcome. And so rather than Joe Biden having this huge mandate, that, that wasn't what this was all about. It wasn't about hope and change like 2008 with Barack Obama. It was Joe Biden was the alternative to Trump. Now, Biden has not governed that way. Biden has governed it's assuming that, hey, I've got this huge mandate, and, and that's what's causing him some of the problems. He's got a 50-50 U.S. Senate where he can't lose any Democrat votes. He's got a House of Representatives that the Democrats only control by a couple votes. It, it, there's not a mandate for this massive sweeping type of change that Biden is trying to push through, but but he's not governing in that fashion. He's governing as the ultimate big society liberal when I, I don't really think he's got the mandate. What the Biden election in 2020 was, was, I I think, a rejection among the majority of voters of Donald Trump. Nothing more, nothing less. Having said that, um, early on, you know, Biden had, I I would say, a honeymoon period. First of all, he wasn't Trump. And so you didn't have the the chaos that existed in the the Trump administration with the tweets on a daily basis. You, You didn't have that. In addition, the mainstream media is largely, figuratively speaking, completely and totally in bed with Biden because because they want the big, you know, the big society, the great society agenda. So you get very, very little critical coverage, whereas, you know, with the Trump administration, it, it, he could do nothing right. You know, it, it could, he, Donald Trump, and I've said this before, Donald Trump could have given out of his own personal finances every American $100, and the New York Times would have complained that it wasn't 520s. He's given you 100 bucks, but you've got to go cash it. Can you imagine how outrageous this is? So Biden had a real honeymoon with the mainstream media, and, and he wasn't Trump. All right? Well, all right. You saw that reflected, and I understand there's a lot of people who are skeptical about polls, and I, I think you take polls with a grain of salt, but I do think they, they give you an indication of, of of how things are going, particularly when you look at, you know, one poll in May, and then a poll in June, and then a poll in September. The, the same polls, the same methodologies, and, and you can kind of track. And there's no question that Biden's numbers are in the dumper. Uh, the latest poll that just came out today, CNBC, not not exactly a conservative poll. Um, they just came out with the new numbers, and they're they're bad. Um, Biden way underwater. Forty one percent of the public approve of his job performance. Fifty two percent disapprove. Now, the one thing that was buoying Biden's uh, approval ratings. Early on in his presidency was his reaction to COVID because the COVID numbers had, had been going down. You can argue about was that because of stuff Biden was doing or 
or just the fact that they were going down. But right now, his COVID handling is down. 50% approve of his COVID handling, um, 45% disapprove. So COVID, the numbers, there used to be a huge gap. That is now narrowing. And when it comes to other things, um, it's, it's not good at all. Handling the economy, 40% approve. 54% disapprove. This poll didn't ask about things like immigration, didn't ask about things like, um, again, the, the handling on the border, didn't ask about Afghanistan or any of like that. But obviously, that's all kind of packaged in to a 41% approval rating. All right, now that is not unique. I'm looking at a couple of the other poll numbers that are out from a similar time. Quinnipiac disapprove 51%. Approve 40%. Fox News, 53% disapprove. 46% approve. Rasmussen, which tends to be conservative leaning, 56 disapprove, 42% approve. In any event, right now, if you look at the recent thing, one, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight, nine, the last nine polls that have come out in the last few weeks, um, Biden is is underwater, and he's underwater big time. Approval rating, average of these various polls, about 43%. Disapproval rating about like 51%, a little bit above that. So he's underwater, and I think a lot of people are saying, hey, we've got inflation that's really taking off, and people are starting to notice that it's costing them more and more to buy stuff. Border out of control. You've got the Afghanistan thing. You've got all this angst about the COVID stuff. Our number, 855-616-1620. That is the Accident Mortgage Talk and Text Line. Now, again, I understand there's some people who just completely poo-poo polls. I have never been that guy. I think it's fair to view them skeptically, but I think also it's just dumb to just ignore them um, because, you know, more often than not, I think they do indicate trends. And this trend is is, is that Biden underwater high disapproval rating This is going into next year where there's the midterm elections. Here is my question. Do you believe these poll numbers? And do you think you think Biden comes back from this? Or is this going to be something that follows him through the next couple years of the administration? And I do think it's really interesting that at a time you are trying to make massive changes in American society, let's take $3.5 trillion and invest it in personal infrastructure let's change let's let's have more cradle to grave entitlements he's trying to do that at a time where you know um only about 45 percent of the public approve of his job performance 855-616-1620 i think biden is in trouble what do you think welcome back to jeff wagner on wtmj Eight five five six one six one six twenty, which is the Acunet Mortgage Talk and Text Line. By any definition, I mean one of the consensus of the polls, and I understand people are skeptical about polls right now, is that um, Joe Biden's approval ratings are are in the tank. Um, 
new poll out by CNBC, 41% of the public approve, 52% disapprove. And the thing that had been kind of boosting him up had been his handling of COVID. And, and that's that's now down dramatically, still about 50% approve, but it's not that huge number. And pretty much everything else, people don't think he's doing a good job. Now, one of our texters raised an interesting point. Jeff, how does this relate to where Trump was? Fair question. In October of 2020, so I, that's like give you a snapshot. Um, the, the numbers are, are pretty much about the same. Trump's approval rating was around 44% in October. And, and again, you, you can look at different polls, but it was about 44% in, in, 20, in October of 2020. He had about an approval rating of 44%, uh, disapproval rating of, of the balance. Um, here, I mean, Biden's approval rating of 41% and 52% who disagree, um, who disapprove. It's so in, the, in this particular poll, for example, it, it's an 11-point spread. The real clear politics average is is about nine points. That That's essentially where Trump was, you know, a, a month before the election, underwater by that eight to 10 points. So, I mean, Biden's in the same sort of situation. It's early, but the question becomes, are, are you going to be able to figure out and get out of it. And and this is the big problem for the Biden administration. For Democrats in 2022, I, I don't know what the alternative is because they've just doubled down. They're blasting ahead. They are convinced that the way to win hearts and minds of the, the American people is to, uh, again, go back to the Lyndon Johnson Great Society on steroids. It's to let's tax people, let's tax people, let's try to create more entitlements, let's build a bigger government, let's pretend that what's going on at the border isn't a mess that's been made worse by this administration. Let's pretend that there's nothing to see when it comes to the inflation, yet everybody knows when they pull into a gas pump, they see that they're now paying a dollar more for gasoline than they paid a a year ago, and you're looking at the supply shortage. It could very well be an expensive and a rocky Christmas coming up. If that continues into next year, and I think there's every reason to believe it's going to continue to next year, not shaping up as a good political year for the the left. And yet Joe Biden is doubling down, continuing to, uh, again, align himself more with the Bernie Sanders of the Democratic Party, which is 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 fine. This seems to me it's going to be a recipe for electoral disaster. Welcome back to Jeff Wagner on WTMJ. I don't know if you know what Epic Systems is. It's a company, a huge company that, that sometimes flies under the, the radar. Epic Systems is uh, it's based out of Verona, you know, out by Madison. Um, it, it employs about ninety one hundred people at its massive campus in Verona. It's just huge. It has more than 10,000 employees worldwide. So what does Epic do? Epic is one of the largest software companies for electronic health records, and and they work with medical providers and medical institutions to like like computerize the, the software and stuff for the medical records. So, for example, more and more medical companies like healthcare systems they're, they're going on to like the my chart sort of stuff where you can simply log on and you can see your entire record of visits and upcoming doctor's appointments and all those sort of things and you can communicate with the doctors just all electronically well well epic epic develops software for that and they're just a huge company and they're incredibly successful uh they are also they're also a very very big 
employer. So there, there's, I guess maybe it's a mini scandal. I don't even know if it's fair to say that it's a scandal. But uh, you, you obviously they have a very, very diverse workforce. So there's a huge story in the um, Wisconsin State Journal. Um, The headline is Epic Systems Touts Diversity Initiatives in Response to Leaked Recording. Um, Let me read you the first portion of this. Epic Systems Corporation responded Wednesday to a leaked recording of an executive who discouraged workplace political activism during racial justice protests in the summer of 2020 by touting the company's progress in creating diversity initiatives. So this controversy that required the company to respond was a a leaked recording that happened in the summer of 2020, and that is that is during the height of the you know Black Lives Matter stuff and the George Floyd protests. Okay, so here here's what was said, and this is what I want to talk to you about is whether. The, the company has anything to be defensive about. Okay, it, it's a minute-long clip that somebody had that, that again, they, they leaked it. And there's there's no context for this because you, you don't know. It's a, it's a one-minute recording of the company president. His name is Carl Dvorak. And, and you don't know who he's speaking to or what the context is, and you don't know what the response was. So all you have is, is his remark. So you, you can't have the context to draw it. But anyhow, they're talking about this diversity council that Epic has created, that the company has created. And, and he says, look, he says the goal of this diversity council of the company was not to be lobbyists for change, but to expunge that from the workplace, refocus people to go to their community efforts around those topics, those issues. Quote, it's okay to have passions, but not here, he says in the recording. He says this, he's talking about the workplace. This isn't a platform to fight for your social cause. It's not a platform to fight for any cause, really, other than the cause of we come together and and work. There's just a moment where you have to say work is work. Personal life is personal life. You ought to say no to a whole bunch of stuff that's happening right now because some of it's good and interesting and appropriate for your personal endeavors. It's not part of our endeavor here. Okay, so that that's essentially what he's saying, and the way I interpret that is, hey, we've got this diversity council, but one of our missions is, you know, we, we want to keep these controversial social issues out of the workplace. You know, when, 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 you, come in, when you come into work, the, the idea is we should be focused on our, our goals as a company of meeting whatever the, the, those goals are. And if you want to do this stuff on your own time, go with God. All right, our number, 855-616-1620. That's the Accident Mortgage Talk and Text Line. Now, this one-minute snippet snippet was, was leaked with the idea of, I, I think, trying to a- embarrass the company, I guess. Or, look, they're not really committed to things like diversity or stuff like that. Candidly, I I, I think... I think this is a situation where they're saying, hey, we want to keep this out of there. Uh, their PR guy says, look, th- this, this audio clip reflects a small part of a larger discussion around preventing bullying and harassment. Uh, the discussion had to do with one of our staff who was being bullied because she was married to a police officer. That sort of behavior is uncommon at Epic, and the president wanted to make sure it was stopped. So essentially what he's saying is, look, we, 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 want, we want people 
to, to leave the, these political opinions. And, okay, you can be in favor of defunding the police or whatever, but when you come to work, we want you concentrating on working. 855-616-1620. That is the Acunet Mortgage Talk and Text Line. I... I <laughs> I, I guess I, I look at this, and I, I've been reading the story several times this morning in advance of talking about it, and I, I say, okay, what's what's the problem here? I mean, what what is wrong with this? Is there anything you need to apologize for when you're essentially saying, you know, we want you to keep your various political beliefs, your various feelings on social change, we want you to keep them out of the the workplace. We don't want you coming here and harassing, in this case, an employee whose husband is a police officer because you don't like police. Okay, that's fine. You you know, if if you want to voice your opinions about not liking cops, that's fine. Go go do that. And I'm sure that that would be the flip side as well. You know, if, if if you don't like the Black Lives Matter movement, you know, we, we don't want you confronting people and saying, I don't like the Black Lives Matter, Matter movement. We want you to keep that out of the workplace. I have no problem with that at all. 855-616-1620. Matter of fact, I, I think it should be the policy of companies to do exactly that. And when it comes to these charged issues, I think it's perfectly reasonable for a company to say, you leave your opinions on social justice things, you leave your opinions on politics, you you leave them at the door. We don't want an argument about, you know, Trump and Biden, and we we don't want that on our grounds. You want to talk about that, that's fine, you do it on your own time. Anything unreasonable with that? 855-616-1620, we discuss. Jeff Wagner on WTMJ. So very glad to have you with us. 855-616-1620. That's the Acunet Mortgage Talk and Text Line. All right, there's a big story in the Madison paper, controversy involving Epic Systems, which is the large, they they develop software for for medical systems across the world, actually. Um, The biggest, their their giant campus is in Verona outside of Madison, 9,100 employees. And there's this controversy because somebody has a recording of the president of the company saying essentially, to his diversity council, look, here, 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 here's the deal. What, what our goal needs to be is we need to keep, essentially I'm paraphrasing, we need to keep politics out, out of the workplace. That The context is apparently there were employees that were harassing, allegedly, one of the employees because her husband's a cop. And, but his point is, look, when, when we come here, I, I want us all to be working together. And, and our, our goal, regardless of how we feel about this social issue or that social issue, our, our goal needs to be working for the benefit of the, the company. And I, and again, I, I don't I don't have an issue with this at all. It's look, I. What I do for a living, okay, my, my job is to, I am paid to, to comment on, on social issues and political issues and stuff, but that's the nature of my job. But for most people, it, it, that's not. Most, most people have jobs where, you know, you work for an insurance agency and you, you come in and your job is to process the insurance claims. Your job is to sell the insurance or whatever. It's not to go in and to say, okay, well, we need our workplace to be more political or we, you know, we, we, we need this issue or we want you to adopt that. At Epic, they're saying, hey, we want you, when you come to work, we want you to concentrate on, on work. 855-616-1620. That's 
the Acunet Mortgage Talk and Text Line. Hi, Jeff. My name is Scott. I would agree with you that certain things should be kept out of the workplace. Um, but you work so close with people, sometimes they're closer than family, it's almost impossible to keep social issues out of the workplace. Well, I think what, what he's doing in this is saying, hey, we got to figure out how to do this. We, I, I, I don't, I don't want our employees being bullied by other employees for regardless of what the thing is. Again, in this context, it was apparently employees who were bullying a woman whose husband was a police officer, and they apparently didn't like the police. This was at the height of the George Floyd stuff. But, I mean, I would say you you flip that around. I don't think employees should be bullied because maybe on Saturday they decided to go down and participate in a Black Lives Matter march or, or whatever. It's not the role of the workplace to, you know, invite people in and simply say, okay, well, well we're going to advocate for this cause or we're going to encourage that. Or, I mean, I guess a workplace can do that if they choose to. And there's some companies uh, that, that have, very, as, as a corporate policy, they are, are very aggressive in, in advocating certain causes. But that's the corporate policy. I mean, that, that's fine. If the owner of Penzi Spices, for example, wants to take up, you know, pretty much every left-wing cause that comes down the pike, that, that, that's his right. It's, it's his company. He gets to set the tone. But at the same time, if a company says, look, I want to keep this stuff out of the workplace. I, I don't want our employees getting into arguments about politics or the role of defund the police or, again, fill in the blank as to what it is, that strikes me as being incredibly um, reasonable. Jeff, I agree with you 100%. I applaud Epic for standing up against the bullying of the police officer's um, wife. Well, yeah, that's, you know, that's, that's, I think, where you end up going with this. Jeff, I don't think there was anything inappropriate said. I agree with you. Work is work, and discussion opinions about politics and social issues should be avoided as they have the potential to create an uncomfortable environment. Jeff, I just gained some respect for Epic Management. I always thought of them as a lefty company. I hope they hold their ground. I, I Again, I don't know about the political orientation, but clearly, the the owner, or at least the president of Epic, not the owner, the president of Epic is trying to say, look, I I want to I, I want to keep this out. Now, I, is there a role for diversity in the workplace? Well, well, of course. But when I think of diversity, it's like, all right, do do we do we want to make sure that we have equal opportunity for men and women? Do we want to make sure that we have equal opportunity for people of all different races? A- absolutely. Do we feel we need to do more outreach because we want to have a diverse employment base? Because you know, a diverse workforce gives us a different perspective on issues and can help us grow. I- absolutely. But this idea that you know, we we want to at the same time. While we want to encourage a diverse workforce, we, we don't want to have extensive political discussions or social media or, or social justice discussions or whatever. We want to keep that out of the workplace. I have no problem with that at all. I think that this is, um, matter of fact, I think it makes eminent sense. Um, you know, no question about it. Back with more in just a minute. This is Jeff Wagner. I feel for all of the people involved, but I don't think it's fair to blame the Milwaukee police. This story, this this horrible story about the the missing boy, Major Harris, that just it, it unfortunately there's just no news day after day. And I think you're probably all familiar with this story. It, it's just there's still a lot that nobody knows. His his mother, the boy's mother, 
Her name was Mallory Munzenberger. She lived in on Alaska, kind of up in the lacrosse area. She travels to Milwaukee, presumably with the boy. Um, then nobody knows exactly what her relationship was with this twenty-one, this twenty-year-old guy named Jaheem Clark. But in any event, the the twenty-five-year-old lady Munzenberger, her her she's found dead in the backyard of a Milwaukee home. The three-year-old boy is missing. Amber Alert, everybody's looking for this Jaheem Clark, and it, it appears that the police were narrowing in on him. They surrounded the house where he was at, and it sounds like he killed himself. So that that's what we know thus far. Meanwhile, the three-year-old boy is, is missing. has been the subject of an intensive manhunt. The boy's father, who did not live with the boy's mother. He's from West Virginia, and he's he's come into town to help you know look for the search, to lead the search, and things like that. This was the subject of an extensive manhunt for a couple days, and the police really have kind of hit a roadblock. They they don't they, they've looked in the places where they have information believing that the boy might have been, etc. And, and there's been extensive searches, and, and they haven't been able to to find anything. Now. The boy's father yesterday decides that he's going to, like, rip the police department. He decided he calls the Milwaukee Police Department a joke, and he said that they were frustrated that they weren't concentrating their search on on other wetland areas around the the, the city. And the police have been very, very clear. They said, look, we're at a point now where we're, we're we're out of tips. We're looking we're asking the general public to come forward. If you have any information about this, please do it because we want to do everything we can to try to find the, this boy. But at some point in time, you know, we, we've hit a we've hit a roadblock. Now, my understanding is that there's you know another search that they're they're organizing and is, is going on you know now where they've got volunteers that are coming out and they're looking. The family of the mother is out with a statement saying, you know, that they appreciate all the efforts of the community and the police and, you know, they're they're concentrating, they've gotta they've gotta bury the mother who who was killed. It's a very, very unfortunate situation and everybody you're hoping for the best and, and you're also looking for some degree of closure. But I guess what struck me about this is I thought it, it and by the way, the police have also made two arrests in connection with this particular homicide. But nobody, nobody has any concrete information that they can give the, the police. So obviously you want to continue doing the search. And obviously, you know, you want to have people participating. But at some point in time, I mean, to call the Milwaukee Police Department a joke and to imply that they don't care about solving this or finding the, the boy or whatever, I, I think that that's grossly unfair. You, at some point in time, you, I mean, what you, you have to, you can't just say, okay, we're going to do door to door searches of an entire city of six or seven hundred thousand people. Um, we, we, you know, give us information. Once we get information from the community or from tipsters or whatever, you know, once we have some idea as to where we're going to look, we're, we're going to look. And, and I know that this is, in fact, a priority. And again, I appreciate how difficult this is for everybody that's involved. And I understand why the dad who's driven in from West Virginia to try to organize this stuff, I understand why he might be frustrated. But to, to take it out on the Milwaukee Police Department and to imply that they are a joke and they don't care, I, I just think that that's grossly unfair. Hopefully somebody in the community that has some information about this will step forward, give them some concrete leads. And my guess is once they get some concrete leads, j- just 
you know, watch the intensity of the search. Just saying. Live from the Annex Wealth Management Studios at Historic Radio City, this is the Jeff Wagner Show. And now, WTMJ's Jeff Wagner. Good afternoon, Wisconsin. Welcome back to the show. Okay, so Melissa Barclay, you're, you're my, my go-to source on this. Brian Laundrie, who is, of course, the, there's been a nationwide manhunt for the last X number of weeks. He's the principal sucked in the death of Gabby Petito, who this is this issue that people go missing all the time, but for whatever reasons, this has captured the, the nation. The latest developments are... Um, his parents are with some law enforcement people, and they're going through this wilderness park in Florida. They've been searched earlier, and they say they found um, body remains, and they found a backpack note and notebook that they say were belonging to him. Um, so here, here's my question. Do you think, think he got ate by the alligators? I kind of believe that. I think there's a couple of scenarios that, that could have happened. Maybe he... Maybe he uh, committed suicide and his body was there and was eaten by an alligator or, you know, some sort of wild, you know, wild animal or something. Um, or maybe he, I mean, that's really the only scenario that I can think of, really. But, but yeah. you, you, you think that when the forensics are going to be released, you think that this is going to turn out to, to be him? I, I do, yeah. I mean, from what I'm reading, they're saying it's a strong probability that it's him but of course now like a week or two ago there were people that swore they they saw him on some trail or something in in wyoming or whatever well it's interesting i mean how many body parts and you know human bodies are out there you know laying around in the area that they're looking for him it's hard to really think about that but i would i would suspect it's it's probably him that's probably not a good way to go i'm I'm, of the the (laughs) different of the different ways you can go i mean i i i want it to be kind of in my sleep in in my 90s after playing a great round of golf or something like that i i I, being eaten by alligators or whatever else might be roaming around this florida preserve is not the way i would choose to go i you know and maybe maybe he was dead when the alligator found him or when the animal found him who knows yeah now they do also say that the reason they missed the stuff the first time is that it was submerged so you know so again it's it's one of those deals if you're in this kind of wetland area like this marshy area at some of these places in florida the, the water does go up and so down. It's, it's interesting to me with this case that it seems that his parents went to the police and said, hey, I think there's a spot here we missed or, you know, let's let's go to this spot. Is that suspicious that their family said, oh, let's look here and, and, and that's where they find? And it's, I don't know. And it's the dad that that found the the notebooks and stuff right that would that it was off it was off this trail and it was the dad that that found the the stuff so i again it's just another one of these sort of weird factors that that contributes and of course the family attorney is just kind of out, outraged that oh well, who would imply this but the the family really was not overly helpful in the beginning of this so not it's just all. it's just like another weird element but i I mean, I guess this is one thing that you're going to know because, you know, they're going to do the forensic stuff and it'll tell you one way or the other. But yeah. like, a, I, maybe I, the thing is you want to get closure on this one way or the other and, and sooner the better. Well, it's interesting. I don't think his parents really haven't spoken to, you know, any kind of media outlet. They've obviously spoken to police, but um, it'll be interesting when they do speak what they say. And, you know, I, who knows if they'll ever admit that they knew something. Right, but your sense is you think this is going to turn out to be him in the. In the I do. Ever- All right. Yeah, I okay. Do. All right. You're on record. I, yep. <laughs> I just, I, you're, you're one of my go-to sources mm-hmm. on this because I've been, I, I'm just, I, I'm, I'm fascinated. M- 
again, this is a horrible story, but I'm sort of fascinated by the fact that it's captured the nation's attention in the way that it has because people do go missing, you know, all the time and it doesn't get the attention that this story got. Yeah, this one's a very, a very strange one. I think with all the the turns and the curves and the, it's just, uh, yeah, definitely not a good, not a good uh, turnout there. Okay, let us switch gears. Melissa is now on record. This we should know, you know, at least we'll get to forensics um, relatively soon. All right. Matter of fact, Melissa was talking about this story just a couple minutes ago. What's it? Game of Thrones. Winter is coming. Well, winter in Wisconsin is coming, and. You can't say that people are not sounding the alarms. One of the things that that happens in winter is we get snow and sleet. And you need people to go out and you need people to plow the snow and you need people to put the salt down on the roads so we can get around. It is no secret, and we have talked about this a number of times, that it, it doesn't matter whether we're talking about the public sector or the private sector. It, it, you can't get people to work. I mean, people, you, you talk to, I, I have a lot of friends who run stores or businesses or restaurants or whatever, and if you say to any one of them, what is your top problem right now, they will tell you we cannot find help. You know, we're having to cut back hours or people are going to have to work overtime. We can't get people who are willing to work. And that's a, that's a whole nother discussion about, you know, why is it that all of a sudden after the pandemic, you've got people who, you know, don't, don't choose to work. And it's another discussion as to if you choose not to work, how, how do you live? I mean, I understand, I mean, if you're 62 and you have a little bit of a nest egg and you know, after the pandemic you, you stop working and you don't want to go back to the workforce and, oh, okay, so I, I get that. But, I mean, you know, the, the 20 and the 30-year-olds, I mean, how, how do you support yourself, you know, when you don't have that, that huge nest egg unless you're independently wealthy? But this is it's a real problem. Every business has it. Public sector has it. Private sector has it. And the Milwaukee Department of Public Works has it in a big way. They are estimating right now there are about 85 vacant positions in the Department of Public Works between those workers who drive the plows and the people who work on the trucks. Um, they estimate that there are about 350 or 360 total positions needed, and so they've got 85 vacant positions. So you know, you know, do the math. They're they're about 25 percent down. Um, they've got some backup from temporary employees who can come in and help. You know, mechanics who can help, you know, do some of this, the work that the trucks need. Presumably you can bring in a temporary employee that help change out plows or think, plow blades or things like that. But, uh, temporary employees do not have CDL licenses, commercial driver's licenses, so they can't help with driving. So you, you've got a situation where winter is coming. You're, you're down 25% and they're having trouble hiring. They, they say, that uh, they've made offers to 10 new people for the positions to drive the snowplow, but their big problem is they, they have, they, they've just got no applicants, that they've got no applicants. Now, to be a snowplow driver, you need a, four, again, you need the CDL. Starting salary to be a snowplow driver, forty almost $42,000. If you're a Milwaukee resident, 40600 for a non-resident. So um, that's it. In addition, if you have your own truck, you can also be hired, I think, as a temporary employee, and they'll pay you um, about $150 per hour, depending on, on, on what your truck is. But, but regardless, 
there's a huge problem here. And it's it's not unique to the city of Milwaukee by any way, shape, or form. But you're in a situation where it's going to start snowing. I mean, the calendar doesn't care whether you've got enough people to plow the roads or not. But they're already saying, hey, we got we got a 25% driver shortage, which is, I think everybody would agree, unacceptable. And my guess is that applies to the suburbs as well. I just have the numbers, and this is a story from Milwaukee. Our number is 855-616-1620. That is the Acunet Mortgage Talk and Text Line. What needs to happen? I mean, is it a situation where if you up the, the salary a grand or two grand, is is that going to change the dynamic? I mean, are all of a sudden you're going to get people to, to do that? Do, do you need to up the salary 10000 Do you need to offer this up the salary 20000 And And can you uh, effectively do that? Or, or is this just the new normal that until people decide they want to go back to work, we're, we're just going to have to realize that we, we don't have enough people. And so if you're used to having your driveway, your snow plowed, you know, once a day, well, get ready. Maybe it's not going to be for three days. 855-616-1620. That is the Acunet Mortgage Talk and Text Line. All right. If you're in the city of Milwaukee or, again, a number of these public uh, works areas across the area, you don't have enough drivers. You know you don't have enough drivers. You've been advertising. You're aggressively trying to find plow drivers, and you can't. What do you do? And what should we expect people to do? 855-616-1620. We discuss. Welcome back to Jeff Wagner on WTMJ. 855-616-1620, which is the Acunet Mortgage Talk and Text Line. Um, winter is coming, and it, it looks like, by all stretch of the imaginations, it's going to be a mess. Um, the reports are that with inflationary pressures, the cost of natural gas and propane, the things we use to heat our house, they're, they're going to be up maybe up significantly in addition to for everybody who is i don't know de- depending on the department of public works around the area to plow the streets so you can get to and from work if you're still working it, it's it, it's it's going to be a longer wait uh, the city of Milwaukee is already saying that they're down they're down by about 25%. They, they, they have 85 vacancies right now, and they've been aggressively trying to get people to, to do these jobs, and, and, and they're not getting attractions. The starting salary, depending if you're a city resident or not, is between like 40,500 and 42 grand. Number of people are saying, well, what do, what do the snowplow drivers do when they're not plowing snow well you work for the sanitation department so there's other driving sort of roles i mean maybe you're driving a garbage truck or things like that it's a driving job you need to have a commercial driver's license and um it's actually there's new federal rules that are going into effect in february which um make it a little more difficult to get a CDL that requires a little bit of extra training and stuff. So that's going to be something that makes it even tougher. But, you know, the snow is going to start, whether it's late November or December or January, and people are going to expect the snow to be plowed, and we know that there's not enough people to do it. And, you know, when we get some of these snowstorms, already, you know, when you have a full staff of snow plow drivers, you know you have these people that are working incredible amounts of, of overtime, and overtime, by the way, for a lot of the municipalities is um, it's mandatory overtime, and, and right now the city of Milwaukee doesn't have enough people to do it. What do I think needs to be hap- to happen? Well, I, I think this is one. 
situation where you just got to recognize that you got to pay people more. One of the problems, and there's lots of problems that go into this, but one of the problems that's going on is the municipalities are competing against uh, a lot of the private companies that are out there. And I think it used to always be the scenario where, hey, if you worked for the city government, if you worked for county government, if you worked for the, the state, that was that was the gravy job. And, you know, you had the, the great benefit packages and you had the retirement plans and you had the great health insurance and, you know, you, you had a very competitive wage. I, I think one of the things that you're seeing, especially in this economy and especially with the fact that for whatever reason, you've got a huge chunk of the population that, that doesn't work right now and doesn't think that they have to work, which, as I was saying earlier, is a story that I just don't understand. But, I mean, right now you've got the city of Milwaukee competing not just with the other municipalities to bring people in, but they're competing with the, the waste managements of the world that are much more competitive, say, than they used to be. Here's a text, Jeff. No need to worry about no need to worry about this, Jeff. I'm sure the Common Council will figure it out. Um yeah. <laughs> uh, yeah, that's it. Jeff, there was an article in the local newspaper this morning about food insecurity and pantries um, having to feed people. And they said in the article that there are no jobs for the people that need food. What planet are these people on? Businesses are begging for employees to fill their positions. Roberta says, I don't get it. I I, I don't understand this either. I, I mean, there's a there's a disconnect. And look, I, I, I understand to drive a snowplow, for example, or a garbage truck, you, you need to have a commercial driver a CDL. So you need to do a little bit of background, but you get that CDL and I get the impression that, you know, you show up at the city of Milwaukee and you've got your commercial driver's license and you are breathing. I get the idea that they're hiring. They're, they're, they're desperate to, to get people. And, and yet you have people who just don't appear to be interested in that. That, that's the disconnect that, that's out there. And you got to wonder how much it's, how much and how long it's going to be. But I will tell you, I mean, short term, the, the reality of this is that if you're used to having your, you know, streets plowed in a certain fashion or your garbage picked up at a particular time, I, I think you may, may need to readjust your expectations because there aren't people to do these jobs. And of course, in the private sector, you're starting to see this as well. You know, if you contract with lawn services, your contract with snow removal services, my guess is the cost of this is going up and you're in a situation where, you know, the, the you're, you're just being told don't expect as much um, as as you had previously. Big issue, no answer, no great answer. Short term, I I think you you probably need to pay more to get people in because you know in the city of Milwaukee, you've got to have those roads plowed when that snow inevitably comes. And from a political perspective, don't think the folks at City Hall don't know that because in the city of Milwaukee, the electorate will put up with a lot. God knows the electorate's willing to put up with out-of-control crime and all this stuff. But if the snows, snow doesn't get plowed, you know that that's going to be an issue. Uh, Lucy on the west side. Lucy, you're on WTMJ. Hi, Jeff. I was telling you, Screener, you need to either spend some time in a snowplow or some time in a food pantry. There's there's a disconnect. First of all, driving a snowplow is hard. Yeah. It's more than just having a CDL. I mean, it's really skilled work. 
<laughs> even the regular garbage delivery. I'm usually out there when the garbage man comes up my alley, and I live in the city of Milwaukee. Um, it's it's hard work, so it's not just go get your CDO and jump in the snowplow. Um, number two, I'm spending some time in a food pantry, which I have done um, over the years. The people that are coming in, you would not want behind a snowplow, okay. believe me. They tend to be old or disabled. A lot of them are fairly frail women with little kids, and the men that you see tend, tend to be disabled. I mean, they're kind well, of old. Lucy, let's, let's talk about the larger issue. Why do you think they're having so much trouble finding people to do jobs that pay, you know, forty-three grand a year starting? Um, because you have to be, I'm not sure about this, this is really beyond my expertise, but I think that the attraction of the gig economy um, for people that don't mm-hmm. have to have regular jobs is pretty strong because you get to pick when you work. If you drive one of those snowplows, the guy across from me works for the city, and you know, they call him at 3 in the morning. Yep. Or he's get up, get your clothes on, get in the truck, and come to work. Right. Um, you don't have a whole lot of freedom. The scheduling is hard. Um, the bureaucracy, I mean, you've got to navigate working for the boss, and it's not always easy. Um, I mean, I think they're great jobs, too. In fact, I just um, made a joke with my son, who's, who's a lawyer, and I don't think he's quitting his job. But I said, you know, if the stress gets to be too much, um, you might want to go over to the city and get your CDL. <laughs> right, yeah. But uh, yeah. So that's 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 my take. Could be. No, thank, thanks. For, I mean, I, I, whether it's the gig economy or, or whatever, and like I say, the, the city of Milwaukee might. I, I think part of the problem. I don't know if it's gig economy, but I think part of the problem is. I don't know if it's a problem, but because there's such a demand for this and there's a shortage of people who are willing to do the work, what you have happening is you have the private sector that, that's paying more for this. It, it But they got to do something uh, unless you're willing to accept reduced services. And again, like I say, I don't think in the city of Milwaukee, it, you, you can you can get away with a lot of stuff. But I, it, if the roads don't get plowed, that's where there's huge political consequences. When we come back. We'll find out what John and Melissa have on their minds for Wisconsin's Afternoon News.